0: Hello, I'm Peter Ayers and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses World with World War II gave us for Gotto and Oklahoma.
1: Without the arts, we are diminished.
0: We had the kind of creative freedom. I
1: was, I was on television as a child and then I had I was in Cotty's happy hour. She
0: went across to me and she said, one day, you know, you'll be doing that.
1: Mind-boggling. They were even lined with purple leather. I went to the ABC and auditioned. I was so fit at the end of that, you could have ended me in the Melbourne Cup.
0: I, and I still firmly believe that great work can be made in small places.
1: If nobody's going to respect your talent, you've got to respect it. I hope I've been
0: entertaining, that's yeah. all. Well, that's very kind of you, Peter. But you are a friend. <laughs> and as are you. Yeah, it's a date. <laughs> it's a date. Hello, I'm Peter Ives and welcome to this episode of The Stages Podcast. My guest today is Simon Maiden. Born in Ballarat, he is a graduate of the West Australian Academy of Performing Arts. In the two decades since, he has delivered extensive work on stage and screen, demonstrating a versatility and skill that has guaranteed engaging performances. City Homicide, Deadline Gallipoli, Jack Irish, Wentworth and Hawke are just a fraction of his television credits. Roles with the Melbourne Theatre Company, Red Stitch and The Malthouse have afforded him an opportunity to play with style and spaces. Film work includes The Dressmaker and The Voice of Stem in the sci-fi thriller Upgrade. Simon is presently touring the country as Oz in the extraordinary musical Come From Away. It is a brilliant piece of theatre and he shares his journey with us. I've known Simon for several decades and ventured into this conversation a little perplexed with how to approach it. More than any of my guests on the Stages podcast, Simon is an artist who I've known through many guises, many of which we'll talk about in this hour. He's a special fellow and it was a joy to feature him in this nostalgic episode. I must admit I'm a little bit... um. I don't know how to approach this. (laughs) Why is that? Um, Because I think out of all the guests that I've had in um, 200 plus episodes of Stages Now, you are somebody that I've known since you were eight. God, is it that long? Yes, it would be. It would have been um, uh, 1985,
1: 86. I remember on stage 86. On <laughs> stage well, There you go. You were one of the Liz Gurry dancers. And you were one of the Von Trapp children. Yes. Yeah, must have been. Or Oliver. No, it must have been one of the Von Trapp children. Oh, yeah, that's Trapp. right, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. For first, the Begonia Festival. First role. first
0: role. First role.
1: Yeah.
0: But, um, <laughs> so having known you for so long, I know your life story. Yeah. Uh, I could write your biography <clears> and just sort of feign these questions about, <laughs> you know. Um, stuff already know is, is hysterical. Um, and also, you know, that we've, we've had various, uh, relationships through that time. Yeah, I mean, yeah. as far as your know, family friend, yep. I was a teacher, Teacher. acting know. colleague, yep. directed you in school plays. Yep. Uh, we both went to Whopper at separate times as well. Whopper
1: brothers. You recommended the singing teacher that I ended up with. Who did you have? Um, Liz. Oh, Pascoe, Liz Pascoe. Yeah. Fantastic. She's yeah. gorgeous. Yeah. She's great. Wonderful great teacher.
0: So, um, yeah, so you might need to lead me.
1: I'll lead you. Good <laughs> afternoon, Mr. Ayers. And look,
0: I must say that you're another addition to the Ballarat series of people yes. that I've spoken to. It's quite a few now.
1: I've listened to a lot of episodes of, of the podcast. I really, really enjoy it. But, yeah, there's it, and it, so many times people come through Ballarat.
0: Well, I tend to ask this to a lot of those folks. Why do you think Ballarat... Is such a, a, a haven a haven? now a haven's a place you go to, a, a cauldron for such mega talents, such creatives, whether they're on stage or off stage. And it goes right mm. back to you know where you went to school. The music centre is named after Elsie Morrison, who's yeah. a famous opera singer. Yeah. several at the turn of last century.
1: Um, uh, look, there's, I think there's a there's a number of things. Yeah, Ballarat was obviously, it was built on gold. So there was money, there's the beautiful Majesty's Theatre. You know, there was, so there was probably always entertainment needed uh, in Ballarat. In terms of my journey through, we were just so fortunate that, you know, we were close enough to Melbourne that you could get down and see things. But it was a country town, so, you know, you're allowed to to try and fail as many times as you want um, without without thinking that it 's going to reflect you know
0: yeah.
1: on, a, on a grand scale and there's just so many great teachers that you know I had through through high school and and, and all the rest of it and you know, people to work with you know um, whether in the uh, the amateur theater companies you know because there were, cause there, were, there were lots to choose from you know it was, it was block and lyric and national theater and Begonia Festival would have shows and
0: Victorian and, Regional Theatre Company for a while. I mean,
1: yeah, yeah, Ballarat Theatre Workshop. That's right. Um, who was the professional company who was there for a while?
0: Um, yes, it was a, a theatre and education group. Mm. It was Barnstorm.
1: That's it. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. So there was there was lots around, but there were, you know there was also music and South Street and all that sort of thing. And I count myself just so lucky that I, I went to a school like Ballarat and Clarendon College, which at the time I was there, I had an incredible music department and yeah, the concert band was recognised as one of the best in the country, you know, as a you know, student band and all the rest of it, but we got the opportunity to travel overseas with the concert band and you know, I'd often be out the front singing the medley from Jesus Christ Superstar with, with Chelsea Gibb and, and Megan Keith. You know. um, well,
0: that's right, you went to school with some extraordinary kids. Yeah. In your year too
1: yeah yeah you? yeah yeah Chelsea um obviously megan was super talented um didn't pursue it professionally
0: but carving a wonderful career as a um a speech therapist yes yeah, speech say, pathologist or a yeah. speech pathologist and yeah. working with some of the country's top talents yeah
1: mm. yeah 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 um so yes and you know there were people ahead of me Ben northy was a few years ahead of me at school and was was a bit of an idol for me because you know, he he played flute and went on to alto sax, and so I I was playing flute and went on to alto sax, and you know it was, it was, there were people around as well because Jake Mason is a uh, yeah very um, very talented regarded musician. jazz musician yeah 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 he plays uh, Barry Cockcroft Barry Cockcroft Barry Curry you know Graham Vendy, teachers who, who were just top top line professionals mm. who who happened to teach at the school that we were at you know not to mention you know people like my dad and you who, who directed us in in shows and things like that you know it was so fortunate
0: um yes i arrived your dad was a wonderful mentor for me as far as school drama goes and and just being so courageous and brave with the choices mm. that he got the kids to do i mean you know I arrived in in the middle of chicago um little shop of horrors
1: cabaret cabaret grand tour
0: Jerry Herman's Grand Tour, yeah. um, Barnum. Which, Barnum, <laughs> yeah. extraordinary to think that 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 he could weave this magic to to get a bunch of school kids to create, yeah, those those stories.
1: Well, and gutsy to, to choose some of those because they're not they're not light storylines. A few of them, no, no, no. Yeah. Um, but I think Dad had a Dad gets bored very easily, so he didn't want to just recycle. Annie for the fifteenth time or whatever, you know, he did. Oh, what a lovely war and all sorts mm. of things. The good doctor, and, um, you know, Pippin, you know, all sorts of things. Yeah, you know, we he dyna bolted a, a tightrope into the wall so that I could walk across it in Barnum, you know, in the, in the school hall. You know, that's it's you know very gutsy. It's you know. gutsy, yeah.
0: but also great. It's it's putting a great grounding into you as a performer, also about what can be accomplished in. Well, it was quite a small space, but... Mm.
1: Yeah, yeah, in Watson Hall, yeah. Yeah. Um, But, God, I remember remember that production of Barnum. There were no holds barred. We had, you know... um, the, the street performers Terry and, um, and Paddy Bath and all those guys who came in and taught us all those those you know, juggling and fire breathing and Unicycle Unicycle and the Diablo that would, you know, someone threw it from one end of the hall to the other and caught it every night it was really really exciting yeah. I mean I don't know whether too many schools would get permission to just on a Sunday before you start rehearsals go out and be taught how to breathe fire and spit fire and things anymore <laughs> it's just it seems a bit ludicrous now yeah, there's a few risk assessments there I think yeah yeah so so phenomenal
0: uh, school drama and and music that you're participating in. Mm. So, what did you want to be when you grew up? Was it was it always going to be? I think it a was. All,
1: I think it was, it always was. My, some of my earliest memories are going to see your mum and dad met doing an amateur theatre show, um, and I used to go along to rehearsals. And uh, one of my earliest memories is um, going to the little uh, the Camp Street Theatre before it burnt down and. Dad was doing a production of Man for All Seasons playing the common man. Mum, I don't know why we went there. I could have only been four or five, maybe a fraction older. Um, Dad came out on stage with this enormous battle axe to you know, execute someone. And I was like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> what is this? And then Mum took me to see um, Toad of Toad Hall. and I, Although I don't remember this, she said that she had to physically restrain me from jumping up on stage. So... I think it was always it was always there um, and then in high school, you know, sort of career guidance counsellors said, well, you should have something to fall back on, you should have something to fall back on and I think I did about three weeks of information management at Melbourne Uni. I still don't know what the course was about but at the same time I was you know, driving back to Ballarat every night to perform in Les Miserables and realised very, very quickly not quick enough that dad had paid the first semester of fees which he wasn't happy about but that you know this is where my this is what my passion is this is what I want to do you know perform
0: were they cautious in advising you to get something to fall back on also your parents or encouraging of of uh, being a performer they were always encouraging uh, I mean after all they were probably responsible (laughs) they're very responsible people your mother mother is a performer as well yeah yeah. many many plays and musicals
1: yeah uh Oh, look, I, I've, I've never actually asked them, but I think they both knew in their heart of hearts and could see that, you know, once I got my shit together after, you know, high school, and you know, I bumped around for a few years and then worked in retail and whatever. And then finally, you know, I think speaking to you as well about what drama school was really about, uh, what, what the experience, your experience at WAPA was like, um, just got me into gear and I... Ended up auditioning for for NIDA and Whopper. I just I didn't want to be in Melbourne anymore. I wanted to probably wanted to get as far away as I, so you as I could a,
0: from home. Didn't audition for the VCR?
1: I had uh, a few years earlier and, and hadn't got in, and right. then um, took time away from it. I did a couple of amateur productions. Did um, did a lovely production of Cosy that we did at the Upstairs Theatre at um, the Athenaeum. Which and did was, you, play, did you play Doug? Uh, no Jeff. Jeff, right? Yeah, Back to the Walls, boys. Here okay. comes Jeff. <laughs> um, but Bell Shakespeare were performing uh, Much Ado About Nothing downstairs in the main theatre, uh, and we used to be able to sneak in at the back and watch the end of it each night. And it was just sort of being around those sorts of people and being in a, you know, a big theatre in the city and you know, getting to experience that was, was really, really special. And it got me to pull my finger out, and so I auditioned for NIDA, I auditioned for Whopper, I had a great time auditioning for Whopper and met... Chris Edmund in the audition room and just got along like a house on fire and got phone calls on, on the same day, one from Whopper offering me a spot and one from NIDA saying you're on the reserve list and I said, well, my mind's made up, I'm, I'm off to Perth. And they said, oh, great, good luck, you know, and it was one of the best moves I've ever made. Yeah. Yeah, what a terrific school.
0: A terrific school and um, a great city too. I love Perth. Did, mm-hmm. you, did you
1: love it? I did. I, I, I just I love how far removed it is from everything. You know, the world's most isolated capital city or whatever it's referred to as. So outside. isolated
0: that oh, in my time there, in the, in the late 90s, the Eagles football club had their own television show. That's how <laughs> parochial it is. Wow, yeah.
1: yeah. 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 But it, it was great because in, in the acting course, uh, well, A, it was state funded, so there was no hex fees, which was great. So it was an advanced diploma rather than a bachelor degree. But um, half of the people in the acting course were from WA. The other half were from interstate. A lot of people there from interstate. So there was a real sense of community. The people were looking after one another. And we, the first years and the second years, would put on events through the year to raise money for the third year so that when they came over to the East Coast to... Try out for agents and casting directors and everything. They had a bit of money in their pocket, and you know it was it was it was a real sense of community and, and looking out for one another, um, aside for, you know, from all the, the wonderful people that we were taught by. Mm. So,
0: who who were some of the teachers there? Which you, you mentioned, Chris Edmund.
1: Yeah, Chris is a is a dear friend. Um, stay in stay in touch. The, my first year there, Peter Kingston had taken over as head of the acting course, and. Gillian Jones had taken over as um, head of drama. I think that was it. Peter was in charge of the whole course and yeah. Gillian was in charge of acting, that's right. Um, and she was kind of feeling away a little bit as we all were, you know, trying to work out <laughs> what, what, what exactly is this learning that we're going to do? But one of the first things she did was take us to see her in, um, uh, what's the um, the Tim Winton one? Cloud Street. Cloud Street. Yeah, you know. I think in the first two weeks we saw the five-hour version of Cloud Street where the, the back opened up and it yes. had Fremantle Harbour.
0: It was on for the Perth Festival, wasn't it? Yes, yeah.
1: yeah. And we saw Seven Streams of the River Ota by Robert Lepage, which seven hours of theatre in one sitting was a hell of a baptism. Yeah. Welcome to Perth. Yeah. It was great. It was great. Um, so, yeah, but, you know, lots of, lots of great teachers over the, over the years, Julia Moody and Jenny West as you know, voice teachers, and all, you know, just incredible people in their own right, aside from their skill as teachers.
0: Yeah.
1: It's an extraordinary
0: institution, also in that um, you've got so many different disciplines under the one roof. You mm. know, there's the conservatorium, there's the the ballet stream, there's a jazz stream, there's the the production stream, costume yeah. sets. Um, the wonderful thing about theatre, all these different tribes mm. working together, living together. Collaborating together yeah. to, to create the magic, which is live performance.
1: A lot of cross-pollination, and you know, <laughs> um, someone sent me a photo earlier in the year of some because last year was our 20, 20th anniversary of graduating, um, and we had grand plans to, to get together. And of course, COVID scuppered all that. But people started digging up um, photos of productions and everything. And there was a photo of a show we did at the start of second year that Gillian directed, A Month in the Country. And in it, down the front, there was—I mean, I completely forgotten that she was in it. it. Was Kelly Road? She was she was in the cast, but she was doing music theatre. And now the two of us are doing you know, "Come From Away" together. And I'd completely forgotten. And I sent her the photo, and she said, "Oh yeah, that's right. I played Sky's daughter." You know, <laughs> <was just> like, <laughs> wow. Okay, worlds collide. Wow.
0: Yes, you don't know, do you? And also, in your—it's interesting um, when you look at a year from drama school. How many of those graduates are still doing it? Three years later, five years later, ten mm. years later, twenty years later, and mm. then many of you were years still performing twenty years later
1: yeah, one of my um, one of my dear friends and classmates was Ewan and Leslie who yep. was terrifically successful um, uh, Jenny Baird is still doing it, Maritana Hughes is still doing it. I mean, there have been people fall by the wayside, um, and some people have gone off into other areas of the arts, you know whether it's visual art or um, a couple of people became teachers. Um, Eleanor is still studying Shakespeare somewhere over in Britain, you yeah. know, getting a PhD in, in that sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, you, it's a it's a bit of a war of attrition sometimes. I've been... And, I you know, I count myself lucky that for the 20 years since I have graduated, I've been able to list actor on my tax return and, and mean it, you know. It's... Yeah. I know that not a lot of people are able to do that, so...
0: It's the most brilliant opera, uh, occupation, isn't it? But it's a, a really tough industry.
1: Yeah. And yeah. It's not for the faint-hearted. And I think if you can think of anything else that you'd prefer to do, then, you know, maybe you should explore those options. But if it's the thing that you love, then, you know.
0: What's well, summed up so beautifully in that song from a chorus line, isn't it, What I Did for Love? <laughs> I mean, it's about a lot of sacrifice. It's yeah. a lot of pain. It's a lot of going without.
1: yeah. Yeah, you get, I mean, it's a bit of a cliche, but you've got to get used to hearing the word no. And, you know, auditions never get any easier. Um,
0: So how do you cope with that rejection when they do say no?
1: Oh, terribly, (laughs) horribly, you know. Um, There's been a couple of big big shows that I've, you know, you you hear that other people, you know that other people, friends and colleagues are auditioning for another role or the same role. Um, and you, know, you sort of hear one by one that people have been told no. You're like, okay, so that means that there can only be about two or three of us left. And then the phone call comes, and you just, you know, you're always hoping for the best. And sorry, mate, no, they've gone in a different direction. Those goddamn words, <laughs> and it can be, it can be soul destroying, but. But I've got better with, um, with auditions in general, I think, in the last sort of oh, five or so years. I read Bryan Cranston's memoir, and it fundamentally altered the way that I think about approaching auditions, in that he, he said, you have to look at an audition as an attempt to do your job, not as an attempt to get a job. Because you don't always get a lot of, you know, as an actor, you re, you rely... It's a team sport, you know, unless you're doing a one-person show that you've written yourself and, and directed. Um, but he said, you know, that's the, that's the opportunity you get to go in and do your job and you can do it in the way that you're the only person in the world who's going to do it that way. So go in there and do the shit out of it. You know, absolutely give it everything that's in you. Then walk out... Tear up the script, throw it away, and don't think about it. And then, if it comes back to revisit you, what a blessing! You know. But if not, you've gone in there and you have done one hundred percent to the best of your ability. You know. And it really, it really, really changed the way because I suddenly didn't find myself waiting for the phone call or you know badgering my agent saying, "Have you heard anything? Have you heard anything?" Of course, they're going to tell you if they've heard something. Mm. Um, but it made a, a real, real change to the way I, I approach auditions yeah and i do do that physically now you know if i do the audition tear up the scene throw it away
0: i have a similar approach to parking fines <laughs> <laughs> I them, no i do i do pay them first right as soon as i open the envelope oh fuck. <laughs> pay it, and then just get it out of my head i, I think that's mm. yeah get it out of your head
1: yeah. yeah yeah but the idea that you're going in there to do your job, not that you're going in to get a job, was the big, the big change that I made in my mindset, mm. and and it's helped, it's helped a, a great deal. Yeah, because I'm not, i you know, I don't have a recognisable face from television, um, you know, I don't don't have that level of kind of um, recognition. You know, I'm not a household name, um, so the offers don't come. You know, a straight offer doesn't come terribly often you know, maybe once or twice in my career but you know. This might be a silly question mm. but
0: would you have liked the fame or are you happier being a working actor that doesn't have all of that attention?
1: I like the idea of some of the roles that get offered to people yeah. you know and and the opportunity of playing those roles but I I don't know I think you know I've, I've played a lot of, in a lot of bands and, and you know played a lot of music over the years and realized a while ago that I was probably not the best guy to be standing up the front being being the front member what one step back and just over to the left and making all the, all the really interesting noises and things you know that's where that's I really like being there you know playing playing music and doing it like that and to an extent I think perhaps that's you know that's probably what I'm best at on stage as well or or in you know on film and TV whatever you know the, the roles that I sort of dream of playing so much richard iii as you know bolingbroke in richard the Second would be really really interesting and juicy yeah. you know hotspur would be wonderful in, in henry the fourth part one rather than you know the hero i, I yeah so so I, I don't know i haven't really contemplated it i'm very very happy with where my career currently is um you know doing come from away has uh has, has been a huge, a huge opportunity you know, career-wise, but uh, but also creatively as well, um, and hopefully you know that leads on to other things as well. Mm-hmm. Who knows? I'll, I'll probably leave the show and won't work for eighteen months. Or,
0: well, I guess yeah. it's a, a national exposure in another form—the musical theatre mm. form—that that people are watching and seeing you, and mm. maybe considering for other things. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, that old adage that you know everything you do is an audition for something else. Yes, down the track, you never know who's watching. Exactly, exactly.
1: Yeah. Um, so you know, eight shows a week. We've done four hundred plus performances. Have come from away now, and there's been times where it's a bit of a, a bit of a struggle, and you're pushing shit uphill, but. You know one of my castmates always says they pays their money, they gets a show, so you go out there and you do it properly, you know yeah. you know, and so it's a gift of a show, so it's it's not hard to get out and enjoy it each night.
0: Well, I yeah. saw it in Melbourne in twenty nineteen
1: mm-hmm.
0: before the big blackout. before the big sea <laughs> <laughs> the big sea and then I saw it again last night, as you know, and it still has that same punch, passion, energy, mm. Um, and you've got a few new cast members from last time, yep. but uh, it's still that show I saw two years ago, and I think that says something to the uh, to the company that's presenting it.
1: Mm. I've, I did notice a difference when we when we got to come back to it in, in January of this year, when the audiences started coming back. Um, particularly, having been in Melbourne myself for the eternal lockdown that was last year. You could kind of feel in the audience that people were watching it and not, no longer just thinking, "Oh, isn't that lovely? Look how kind they were to one another, and they looked after these people. That's really lovely, isn't it?" It was more like, "Yep, that's what my neighbours were doing for me, and that's what I was doing for them." You know, you, you were relying on the on the company of the people around you, and taking care of one another and checking in with one another. So it resonates on a slightly different level now. I think for for most audiences, um, and I mean the just. Realising how fortunate we were, the first performance in front of an audience was a friends and family thing at the comedy theatre. It was about three hundred and fifty people in the audience, but stepping into the wings that night and hearing, hearing the crowd out in the audience, I had tears. And then, of course, our, our director and choreographer went out and spoke beautiful words, and everyone was just weeping. I, Having been told forever there is no crying in come From Away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus, Daddy, what are you doing to us? <laughs> <You know? laughs> because we, we suddenly realized that we were one of the only companies on the planet who were actually allowed to do it at that, at that moment in time. Yeah. And that's not, not something that I think any of us had ever contemplated. So it was very, very special.
0: Where were you on September 11, 2001? What were you doing?
1: I was in King's Cross living in King's Cross um, first year out of drama school and a friend of mine uh, was in a band had been recording in a band called George um, Katie Noonan's band they'd just finished recording their first album and he was coming down from the studio on the central coast and said, I've got to get out of the studio I'll come play you the new album great, yeah. and he came down and we were listening to it and then another friend turned up at our place and said I've just got a, a message saying that the planes hit the one of the World Trade Center towers, and we we went up to the local pub because um, our, our TV antenna had blown down or something in the week before, and went up there. and One by one, the TVs turned over, and we were all standing there as the second plane here. My sister was with me as well. Amy was with me. Um, that's that's how I remember it. That sort of you know, eleven or twelve o'clock at night, um, and just wondering what what the hell now? What happens now? Is this is this the end of days? Yeah. But I hadn't heard about the story of Come From Away until until the show was first mentioned to me.
0: Well, there are so many extraordinary stories, I think, that have come out
1: of mm. the day. Oh, yeah. Or out of
0: any global event,
1: mm. I guess. But this is a
0: particular story which, of course, resonates with, with everyone, even 20 years later.
1: Yeah. Well, it will be, and it will be the 20th anniversary in September of this year yeah. since it happened, which is hard to believe.
0: You graduated in 2000. yes. What was it like graduating into a world you know because Y two K bug theory was about and you know what was the new millennium about to to hold for us? What was it like going into that world as an actor? Were you, did you have any concerns or?
1: No, I was so so excited to to get out and start working um, that I, I I don't recall being having any major sort of panic about what we were what we were heading into. Friends of mine and I, uh, from going into the year two thousand, we went to uh, to Airs Rock and celebrated New Year's Eve there. So if you know Y2K was going to hit them, we weren't going to know about it for a while. <laughs> um, uh, but no, I was more, more than anything. Well, I remember that I was just so excited to have the opportunity to get out and start auditioning and working, and um, and it was a slog like it was for everyone else. You know, I was. Lucky I got a couple of little roles in in TV shows. Um, I think my first professional one was on Changi. Um, I don't know if you remember that. Uh, I do. Yeah, yeah. that John Doyle wrote about the the Changi prison camp. And Nadine Garner played my girlfriend. I just thought, wow. Did you grow up with the Henderson kids? Of course I did. (laughs) And I remember seeing her... um, uh, i think we were taken to school to see a day in the life of joe egg at the mtc and she, oh, was, she that, was in that
0: that was an extraordinary production jackie weaver played the mother
1: yeah uh, yeah and yeah. Bruce, bruce miles was dad. yeah and i just remember thinking hang on
0: irene innescourt was the uh, the grandmother and uh, god you've got a member roger 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 was the other man um yeah Oh, yeah. it's a weird memory. It's a weird memory. Anyway, I interrupt. Oh, shit, there we go. We've spilt the wine. <laughs> uh, this is live theatre, people. We'll, we'll, we'll keep going. Um, <laughs> I only had two sips I know,
1: oh, that's an awful waste.
0: Right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dab that up. You keep telling me about Joe Egg, the Day and the Death of Joe Egg.
1: Well, I just re- remember thinking, you know. It was a realisation as a teenager sort of that, you know, I'll, hang on, she's not just one of the Henderson kids. She's not just that face on TV. Because I remember they did a and a after the show and she came out and she sat on a chair, cross-legged on a chair, and I was just like, who is this? Probably the first realisation I had of the separation of character and performer really, really, you know, clearly... Yeah, you know, obviously understood that Harrison Ford had played Han Solo and Indiana Jones and all the rest of it, but you know this is this is working actors and this is, this is what it's all about, I guess. Um, so it was just it was an excitement, and I've worked with Nadine a bunch of times since then, and she's just a delight. Um, yeah.
0: What was the agents' day like for you? You know that that moment <clears throat> when they bring all of the graduates over from Perth and. Yeah. Um who wants me? <laughs> did, did you have lots of offers or?
1: I had a few. Um, there was one in particular that I was really hopeful for and she's been my agent for 20 years and that's Sue <clears throat> Um Cause the, you, you know, the day after was when we got the call from the school secretary and it was like, these people want to see you. And then of course, you know, we all had mobile phones for the first time. So, you know, Phone calls were going back and forth. Going, how many offers did you? Have? How many? Of them have? What are you doing? Who are you going to see? Who are you? Uh, and I went. You know, I went and met with I think it's seven agents in in a day, um, and Sue was the last one in Sydney, and then we went down to Melbourne to uh, to do Agent's Day in Melbourne, and I'd kind of made my mind up that I was going to be living. I wanted to live in Sydney, and oh, she's great. I got along with her like a house on fire. So I called it about nine o'clock on a on a Friday night thinking I'll just leave a message on the on the phone and she at this stage of her office was in Surrey Hills and she was living living upstairs for some reason she happened to walk down into the office at the exact moment that I called and she picked up the phone and I kind of went ah ah it's Simon maiden will you be my agent she was like, I'd be delighted to can you call me at a reasonable time next time <laughs> I wasn't expecting you to answer you
0: know oddly message
1: yeah I was much more prepared for that um but I, like, I, yeah, I, I remember Agent State quite fondly. It was it was nerve wracking, but I was doing. I did a great piece with Ewan, and then, I, uh, what the hell was it from? <laughs> I can't think of the play now. Describe it. Well, it was where um, two two guys had just watched a film with Ollie Reed and someone else where they wrestle naked, and he convinced like, sons uh, and lovers. Yeah. That's it. And I can't remember the name of the play that it's in, but the, um, my character convinces Ewan's character that we should wrestle naked to, to bring ourselves into manhood and all, all the rest of it. And in the play, they, get, they, they do get naked, but we sort of rearranged it so we only got down to our jocks and then wrestled a bit and off we went.
0: It sounds like one of those 90s English plays by Mark Ravenel.
1: No, it was much older than that. Oh, was it was a, much, much older uh, than that. I wish I could remember what it was called. Chris Edmund gave us the, the scene. And then I did a, a monologue from um, Cowboy Mouth by Sam Shepard just because he was one of my favourites.
0: And you want to show me the range? Yeah. yeah.
1: You know. Um, but I enjoyed it. And I was back on the East Coast, um, which was closer to home. I spent about five years in Sydney and then realised that the pool of Melbourne was growing ever louder and stronger and I was finding any excuse I could to get back to... You know, oh, your, your cousin's daughter is having a birthday party right I'll be there who's Carlton playing that weekend as well <laughs> so so I yeah, decided to move back to Melbourne in about 2005 and uh, and that's yeah that's been home since then
0: tell me about STEM
1: <laughs> uh, STEM was a, a character that I did in a film called Upgrade that uh, Lee Winnell wrote and directed starring Logan Marshall Green and um, It's about uh, Logan's character who uh, is involved in a car accident where his wife dies, and he's made quadriplegic, uh, set in the future, and he's a bit of an analogue guy living in a digital world, and he gets offered the opportunity to have this um, stem cell, a microchip put in the back of his neck, which will allow him to move again. Um, The unforeseen side effect of that is that stem can talk to him. And Stan points out that it wasn't an accident that his wife was murdered, and that this was all targeted. And off they go on a um, on a revenge. They seek revenge on all the people who who, who set up who set up Logan's character. Um, and it was great fun. It was very odd, like going in and doing an audition for Nikki Barrett, and she filmed my shoes so that they could just hear my voice because that's all it is—is is a voice. And I think when we were making it there was no guarantee that I was going to be the voice for the final film it was more just Logan needed someone in real time to to work with and we developed a really a really lovely friendship and sort of decided that we were making a, an 80s buddy cop movie um, uh, but it was great fun and it's a fantastic film have you, have you seen it? haven't seen it yet uh, I'll, it's, I'll it's really really good Um did you record it all separately,
0: your your vocal tracks, or were you able to work with the
1: actors? No, I was. Yeah, I was on set right. every, every day. I think we only did about two or three hours of ADR for it. Right. Um, yeah, it was, which is incredible work by the sound department because you know you'd be on location or you'd be in another location or you'd be in the studio, and they managed to make stem sound the same the whole way through. You know, I am stem, the system operating your body for you. You know. <laughs> but it was great you know and it was um, Bloomhouse Pictures made it you know they're one of the most successful companies going around at the moment you know where they they give you a budget and they say here's, here's five million dollars go and make the film you want we're not going to touch it do whatever you want to do don't ask for for any more money though and Lee realised that the only way he could do that was to make it in Australia, which was which was great.
0: And you got to travel a bit with it too, didn't you, in promoting it?
1: Yeah, yeah. We um, I went to South by Southwest, um, the, Austin, the South by Southwest Film Festival, and got to you know experience it for the first time with a, a, a room full of ravenous Lee Winnell fans, who all, all fans of the, the Saw franchise, which he co-created, obviously. Um, but it's just such a, it's such a unique movie, um, the way that the fight sequences and everything are directed it, just incredible, mm. yeah. It's really, really good fun, and something I'm really proud of. Yeah. Um, would have been nice to maybe have my face on the screen as well, but, mm. you know. Well, you're talking, <laughs> no guarantee that your
0: voice will be used. Yeah. I did a, um, a, a day job on an ABC series called Corridors of Power, which was about mm. the machinations in Canberra, and... Mm-hmm. Um, I played a deep throat type character. Right. And I was meeting, I did a scene with Philip Quast, who was in the mm. cubicle next to me in a, in a bathroom. And I was revealing all of these government secrets. And he was nodding and speaking back. And we had this wonderful scene, I thought. Mm. I told all my friends and family to watch it. They have a dubbing with Peter Bloody Carroll. <laughs> I was obviously just a warm prop for the day. Uh, no, yeah. Well, delivering lines. Not even a great
1: face for radio. Not, not, uh, not happy, Jan. No, understandably.
0: Um, You've played a couple of real people also, Winston Churchill mm-hmm. and Senator Graham Richardson. Yeah. How do you go about preparing roles like that with um, people
1: who, well,
0: one of them was alive and, and mm. one is certainly imprinted in everyone's
1: yeah, memory? Yeah, I... Um, I, I, I read a good deal about them and I listened to as much of um, both of them as I could. Um, Richo has a great autobiography and um, yeah, there's obviously tomes written about Churchill. I was very surprised when I got asked to audition for Churchill. I'd auditioned for... This was for um, Deadline Gallipoli, the, the miniseries uh, around the, the centenary of the Gallipoli landing. And I'd auditioned for another... Role, it's one of the soldiers, one of the Ballarat boys that they were referred to as, and sort of very cheekily at the end of the audition went, by the way, born and raised in Ballarat, eh? <laughs> um, um, and they were having trouble finding someone to play the young Winston Churchill, and for some reason I was told Michael Romer walked past and stopped in at one of the producer's offices as she was watching my audition, and she'd hit pause, and he looked at the screen and went, he could play Churchill
0: that's our Churchill
1: yeah so I flew over to Adelaide and tested for them and um had the gig a few days later uh he was obviously a very different man to to the one that you know people think of in World War Two, or, or the way that you know Gary Oldman portrayed him
0: yeah much younger man
1: much younger man yeah who was really floundering in his career at that stage you know he was living in his brother's house and he'd been exiled from you know removed from Downing Street and all the rest of it um yeah, there's a, there's a voice there, though, that that, that, that suited me. And, um, and looking at photos of the young Churchill, I saw a passing resemblance and thought, yeah, OK then, if they buy it, I'll buy it, and off we go. Read, read about it as much as I could in the few, the few weeks that I had before starting and did some dialect work, and off we went. So,
0: You're quite a good mimic too, aren't you? <laughs> yes,
1: yes, I think so. And that's yeah. certainly...
0: Helps as an actor to yeah,
1: sort of... it can be. I think the
0: rhythms of the character or...
1: And I think that's one of the first things that I sort of learned how to do and could see that people enjoyed it. I seem to remember doing an impression of... Um, it was the Formula One commentator, Murray Walker, that made Dad laugh when I was about seven or eight years old. Yeah. Murray Walker. <laughs> These fucking cars are going round and round in circles. It's so fucking boring. <laughs> and Dad losing it and just thinking, "Well, this is a good reaction." So you I'm can like make that. Stewie laugh. If you make Stewie laugh exactly. <laughs> you know, happy days. But um, but yeah, it is. You know, and and it's yeah, it, it's an interesting little little skill to have. You kind of identify maybe one or two things that are instantly recognisable, and you can make up for a whole lot of <laughs> a whole lot of ground that that you don't have there.
0: Well, what about Richardson because mm. that was a young Graham Richardson also, the one we all know.
1: Well, he served in yeah. Bob Hawke's cabinet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was um, well, yeah, he got he got pissed off when Hawke got re-elected and he wasn't given the portfolio that he wanted and sort of went, alright, no, well, fuck you. PJK, what have we got going on? You know, <laughs> but yeah, it was very interesting sort of really reading into, you know, he was the kingmaker in, in many ways and Um, a a real backroom negotiator Uh, I didn't get to meet him probably for the best Um, (laughs) I did did hear him interviewed just um, just as Hawk was about to be released um, with that magnificent performance from Roxburgh Um, but he was interviewed and they, they said to him have you seen it yet he said no 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 I haven't seen it yet Oh hear yeah, they've got a good look at a play me, so that's all good. <laughs> Fair enough, Richard. There you go. Good one, mate. Tick. Tick. Tick, indeed. <laughs> do
0: you read reviews? This is a, a question I like to
1: ask a lot of actors. I, I, I think any actor who says they don't is, is lying. Yeah. I don't. I, <laughs> I, I try not to immediately, um, but inevitably I do. I don't have the the mental fortitude... And it's silly, really, because you know, if it's a good review, then it's going to mean nothing to you, and if it's a bad one, then it's going to destroy you. And is that any way to live an adult life? You know, having faceless people who you don't know validating your your choice, your choices in your work, and your choice of being in in that in this industry. But I, I do, yes.
0: Well, I guess it's like that psychological preparation that you have to have with the auditions mm. and and reading reviews also. You know, um, to to give yourself as the actor that that armor that you need to be resilient to mm. to keep going back and doing what you love.
1: Yeah, very true. And I've you know, I've read some scathing reviews at, at times. You know, ones which have singled me out for you know. A bit, particularly awful things and you go, were they watching the same performance? Yes. Was I
0: really that terrible? Yeah. Or did they
1: just hate the show? They just hated the show. I'm not going to think about this any further. You know? yeah. um, but, you know, it, it is. It, there is a little part of you that gets a little dopamine fix when, when you read something and go, oh, okay, nice one. Because um, I've been, you know, I've been very fortunate to be in some very well-regarded productions in the last few years, you know, whether it was a View from the Bridge in, um, for MTC or you know, Come From Away. Um, the show I, I did immediately preceding those two was um, an Australian premiere of a, a Jane Bodie brand new Australian work called Lamb which is still probably one of my proudest.
0: Is that Red Stitch?
1: Yeah, one, probably one of my proudest achievements was songs by Mark Seymour from Hunters and Collectors and and unlike a musical these were songs that were written by the characters in the show so there was... There was a true; they weren't just bursting into song to further the plot along. They were singing songs that they had written within the characters that they were. You know, it was a three-hander, and I was I was just so proud to be a part of that one. Um, I'd love to have an opportunity to do it again one day. Bring it to Sydney. I'd love that. They were unfortunate; they were they were touring it um, whilst I was doing Come From Away, so right. I, I didn't get an opportunity to, but. Um, yeah, beautiful three-hander.
0: Well, mm. Come From Away, I didn't mm. say, is a show in which you've received nothing but glowing reviews.
1: Uh, the, the production has, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's it, hard
0: to single out anyone, really, because it's such a strong ensemble of 12 singer-dance yeah. actors.
1: It's a tr- it is a, a true ensemble, and I think that's where I feel most at home. Um, whilst we, we've just been in Brisbane and... Uh, due to lockdowns and things that happened, we ended up doing nine show weeks where for one performance a week you were swung out and I went and saw the show, I think I might have told you this yeah, last yeah, night, but yeah. it was such a great opportunity to just see the bigger picture of it all again and and remember exactly how quickly it all moves and how there is no one standout performance. It, it is a true ensemble show and that... The, the way I described it to you before you know, it's, it's like a clock the way that it all fits together and, and works and you know, I had the great fortune to see it on Broadway knowing that I'd been cast and I went backstage and, and met all the original cast and looked down at the floor plan and saw all the spike marks on the floor and thought what the hell have I got myself into here ah but it, it's just it's such a beautiful piece of theatre to be a part of and You've got it, those
0: spike marks on the floor, have you? Yeah. So, you know, yeah, I, I was watching last night. Uh, gee, they're good hitting their marks the, <laughs> where, the, where the various spotlights hit. And,
1: Even with yeah. the marks, there's no guarantee that the plane is going to be straight right. every night, you know. Right. Um, but, yeah, and I, you know, I, I think, you know, it's 100 minutes, no interval, and I'm off stage for maybe three and a half minutes of it. And eight different characters—you know, some might only be a line here and there. But the
0: clarity f- that you all give as performers, you know exactly. Even though you're playing eight characters, you know exactly when you are each particular
1: one, mm, mm. just
0: through putting on a hat, a coat. Uh,
1: yeah, and that's uh, that's what what I marvel at. I would have loved to have been in the room when they were creating it, when I mean, Chris and Ashley was you know directing it for the first time and workshopping it, because it must have just. Oh, yeah. taken forever yeah. to, it's to work out how to construct it like that and you know songs have been cut and added and all the rest of it over the journey um, but the production that we're doing is, is the production which is well I mean it's not on anywhere else in the world at the moment um, and again you know just feeling so fortunate even though you know there's, there's parts of COVID that probably haven't been handled as well as they could in Australia the fact that we are allowed to have live theatre going um you know, I only just made it out of Melbourne to get to Sydney before the lockdown the most re- this most recent lockdown in Melbourne has happened. But yeah. and we've got three cast members stranded there. So Wow. So Yeah, one one of our um playing cast and two of our standbys. My my main cover so I kind of get sick in the next week or so. Right. Um uh but yeah. We're very, very fortunate to be in the position that we are at the moment, and telling just—it's such a beautiful story. Yeah. I don't don't know of anyone who's walked away going, "Oh well, that was a yeah, what a load of what a load of trash that was." That's beautiful. Just a yeah.
0: just a, a, a pl- a story about kindness and humanity, and
1: yeah. And you walk out. I remember walking out of the beautiful Schoenberg Schoenfeld Theatre in um, on Broadway, and people l- looking at each other in the eyes, you know, strangers and smiling, and you know... And I've said it before, but you know, you don't often do that. Walking out of a production of Hamlet, no matter how good it was, no. you
0: know, yeah. right. you're in mourning. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, when I was saw it in
0: Melbourne, I was lucky enough to catch up with you afterwards. And mm. the f- actual folk that the that are characters in the piece were there, and um, yeah. I met your character, a fella called Oz. Oh, you, you, you met Oz. Say that night. Oh, Here, wow. You introduced us. Yeah, yeah. That's right. So tell us about Oz, who is your main character?
1: Oz Fudge. Uh, he's the local, well, he's a member of a two-person police department in Gander in Newfoundland, uh, population 9,000. And on on the day that it all happened, he was one of the first people to kind of alert the mayor and, and everyone else. Uh, and they just, they, they sprung into action so quickly uh, when they realised that all these people were going to be landing... So uh, how many just landed? 38 planes. Right. 7,000 people who had no idea what was going on. A into, a, of,
0: into a population of... Of
1: 9,000. Wow. So I think there were something like you know, 500 hotel rooms. What are you going to do with the, all the other people? So they had school you know, gymnasiums and auditoriums, and then eventually people just started like, opening their homes and saying, come and stay at my house. You know, and for five days they just looked after the, the come-from-aways... Who, anyone who, who goes to Newfoundland who's not from there is referred to as come-from-away. Uh, but they looked after them and, and, and fed them and clothed them and made them feel safe and got them phones so that they could get in contact with family and all the rest of it. And I mean, so much of the show was verbatim what, what David and Irene, the husband and wife team who, who wrote the show, got from the, from the actual people on the 10th anniversary of it, um, which is just remarkable.
0: Because it's a beautiful sense of humour that, that flows all yeah. the way through it as well,
1: and that's very the, the Oz and I connected immediately because we, I think, in a, the Australian dry sense of humour is very similar to to a Ganderite. Because he say, he said to me once we kind of we kind of felt each other out a little bit, and he said, "Okay, well, you know, if I say I love you, that uh, can't stand you, but you know, if I'm taking the piss, you're all right." <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> He said that he thinks if you dug a hole from Gander straight through the centre of the earth, you'd end up in Melbourne. So, yeah. oh, that's lovely. Yeah, that's it's beautiful.
0: A Fiendish accent. Was it difficult to to master?
1: It was. It was difficult to get the um, the absolute particulars. But there's there's not a uniform accent. Uh, even with all the the real people who came out, you could hear wildly different accents, despite the fact that they'd gone to school together and grown up two streets apart. Uh, it's a Oh, such an odd mix of sort of Irish and Canadian, American, a little bit of gypsy thrown in there.
0: So were there Irish settlers that that sort of were in Newfoundland first? I
1: believe so, yeah. Um, And, I mean, for the audition, I just did a really bad effort of um, an impression of Fargo William H. Macy just going oh yeah real good you know that was, it sounded close enough that it was almost Canadian but not yeah. quite and just that little bit weirder than you know that, that, uh, but it took a yeah, it did take a, a lot of work to to really really get the particulars about it but we had a terrific um, dialect coach named jo- um, and uh, Joel Golders who, um, who helped us over Zoom calls and then he came out and uh, for a couple of weeks when we were first rehearsing in 2019 and really put us through our paces yeah he's a, a very very particular if you if you've got a, a vowel sound which is slightly wrong he always pulls me up on the word planes apparently i get i get way too aussie it's, it's plans not plans <laughs> i don't know i don't hear it myself when, I, when i'm doing it but every now and then i go plans
0: okay so the show goes for a hundred minutes. Yep. Does it feel like a hundred minutes, or does it feel like we've started and then we're, we're
1: finished? Uh, oh, look! After four hundred odd performances of it, some days it feels like a thousand minutes. Some days it feels like it's ten. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, which I guess is just you know that that's part of the job. You know, it's a di- it's a different challenge because I've never done in a season this long. Um, but it's a great challenge. It, but it, I mean, it's a sprint. You 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 take off. And and you you just you really don't you really don't stop. I can kind of break it down into into little sections now and kind of go like, okay, I've done the moose bus. That means I'm going to get at least five minutes to just kind of where I don't. The spotlight's not on me, you know. All I've got to do is pick up a camera and make sure I've got it in my pocket to hand it to someone or you know that sort of thing.
0: What were those first few runs like?
1: Terrifying,
0: (laughs) terrifying. Because it is a train ride. You get on at the start. Yeah, cannot get off until the end.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I think coming back to it was really interesting after a nine-month break. um, Because initially we were supposed to finish the Melbourne season then we were going to do two months in China and then bring it to Sydney and we would have been here this time last year. Um, China got scuppered very early on, obviously. uh, And then everything shut down. So to come back to it... Uh, i had i I was going through my script and i'd taken really detailed notes you move chair two to spike mark number seven the orange seven not the green seven so you and then you you pick up the camera and you do that and it's like i have no idea what that means and then immediately as soon as we were in situ on the stage and you felt i felt kelly go past here and doug cross in front of me it was like that means i have to be doing this Right, and the muscle memory that came back was really, really quick for me. I don't know that it was for everyone, but it was—it was actually the doing of it again. That just the first couple of runs that we did, you know, you find your body doing one thing and your brain catching up to it. You know? It
0: would be difficult not to go into automatic pilot, I guess.
1: Yeah, can be. I'm—I'm I'm really lucky. There's a—there's a couple of points within the show where. Um, where I get to have a little bit of fun and play with it, you know the directions that, that Oz gives each night. I don't think I've ever done that the same way twice. Right. But that's just the the actor in me wanting to have a bit of fun and they keep it fresh. Yeah, and there's no music cues that I'm going to screw up, and there's there's no one else's cues that I'm going to you know throw them off by doing that. So, um, and there's a couple of members in the cast who who like to give little acting challenges. You know, so that's always keeping things interesting as well. You know, yeah, yeah. like I just want you to emphasise the word "another" every time you say "another" in that speech. That's what that's your that's your goal for today, and it makes you think about it a different way, and you do it a different way, and you know, if it works, it works. And
0: to deal with that continuous repetition, I mean, uh, mm. we're seeing it for the first time as an audience. Mm. You've done it for how many shows? Uh. Four hundred and twenty, I think we're up
1: and 421 to, and four hundred and
0: twenty-one seems has to be as fresh, yeah. as number one.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh, like, like I was saying, I was listening to the, um, the Chicago 40th anniversary episode that you did and hearing you know, Nancy and Geraldine saying that you know, they did eight shows a week for two years, non-stop. You know, they, they didn't have a break. Yeah. That would be incredible. I mean, at least, you know, we did have a little bit of time off in there to, to kind of go away and recharge. Yeah.
0: Do you still get nervous?
1: Yeah, now and then I do. Uh, it's more a nervous excitement, you know, opening it in a new city. Always, There's always you know, the butterflies and the, just the excitement of presenting it for the first time in a new space and, and all, all the rest of it. The Capitol Theatre is so beautiful to play. Uh, just a beautiful stage to be on.
0: Well, having played the comedy in Melbourne, <clears> and was it a big space in Brisbane?
1: <clears> we played the Lyric. The li- yeah, right, so okay, so that's a big space Very as well. different space, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're
0: finding that you have to uh, recalibrate your performance size at
1: all no we've, we've been told very very carefully that um we, we don't don't try and play it bigger just because it's a bigger space yeah. the work will be done by the by the sound guys out the front right. and all the rest of it yeah. and the, the whole goal of this show is to keep it as intimate as possible because yeah. so much of it is that direct address stuff that you have to if you're getting too big then it's not going to feel like you're talking one on one to every member of the audience yeah. um and we've got such a terrific production team that you just know you can trust them. You well, know, yeah.
0: Yeah. well, it still has a beautiful truth. It's uh, yeah. it's great. Yeah,
1: and it's it, like I said before, it's such such a joy and the opportunity to to do it. And you know, I, I'll be I'll be leaving the show in a couple of months, and there's a there's, mm. a, there's a, um, yeah, a bit of a changeover in you know, a few cast members, <clears throat> and the realisation that you know the role doesn't belong to you that you're just hang over you're a custodian yeah. you know? anyways he's, he's been lucky enough to get to tell this story you know and I, I think that's true of anything you know you don't I don't think any actor would ever think that Hamlet is theirs or, or Richard III is theirs you know they're just the ones who get to this opportunity to tell it at that time yeah. you know and that's yeah, doubly true here because it's it's a true story, and you know, all the people are still around. So you've got to honour them, you know, their contributions.
0: What a great way to look at it.
1: Yeah, I, that's a healthy way to look at it. Yeah. I think as well, you because know, this means you don't get too precious. Yep. Mm.
0: Yep. How long are you in Sydney? The,
1: uh, show. Uh, the show is here until October. Um, I, I finish up in August,
0: playing at the Capitol Theatre. Yeah, beautiful Capitol Theatre.
1: It really, really is beautiful, and they they brought that false wall up in, in the dress circle, which makes it feel a lot like the comedy. A really, a really intimate kind of kind of space. But um, you any, know, any more <clears> dates
0: <dance throat> in the tour after Sid? Um, I'm not sure. You
1: don't know. I'm yeah. not sure. Right. Yeah, okay. I believe I believe there will be. I uh, hope so. Because uh, yeah, the more the people who can see it deserves to see it. Yeah, but Such you know, I'm, and it's 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 a it's a tough pill to swallow deciding to to leave. But you know, I'm excited for whatever the next challenge is going to be as well, because it's it's been sort of three years of my life now since we auditioned for yeah. it, yeah. Um, and three years that I wouldn't change in a heartbeat. But you know, you, you always always want a slightly new challenge. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm at an age now that. There are other roles out there which are which are opening up. So fingers crossed. Have you started play, you, you would have started playing fathers, by now, wouldn't you? Just or being just, sent for the father roles. Yeah, yeah. Isn't, usually, that, a horrib- you, isn't yeah. that a horrible? moment? It's usually for usually for TV commercials. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't I haven't <laughs> tested for too many father roles yet. But yeah, I can see that it's not far away. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: That's <laughs> grandfather roles. Mm, yes. Mm-hmm. Well, Simon Maiden, this is uh, this has been been good. Oh. I don't know what I was concerned about.
1: I'm so glad because i really I love listening to the podcast, and I'm, I was bitterly disappointed that you interviewed my sister first.
0: Yes, well, I always had I had to satisfy that sibling rivalry.
1: Also, have you interviewed many siblings?
0: No, no. And this is history, Simon, because uh, Amy Maiden and Simon Maiden, <laughs> the first brother-sister team to be. Uh, Complete conversations on the stages podcast. Well,
1: I feel very honoured.
0: Yes. Love you to see you. Um, all of this with Come From Away and Thank you. Um, thanks for the chat. Thank you. Come From Away plays the Capitol Theatre in Sydney through June, July, and August. Bookings and information can be found online. It is an extraordinary piece of theatre featuring a brilliant cast, filling a great story of humanity and community. Do not miss out. My guest today, Simon Maiden. Thanks for joining us in this episode. You can check out all of the episodes featured in the podcast thus far by visiting our website, www.stagespodcast.com.au. I'm Peter Eyes, Keep well, keep warm, and I'll catch you next time.